Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Depends on where you're listening. Scary Pockets to start us off. Anyways, I had an interesting comment from the Grand Wizard on YouTube yesterday. Yeah, he said, I like listening to you guys. The baby stories didn't interest me, though. Can you guys include timestamps for each category from now on? <laughs> uh, yeah, no. I'm sorry if the six minutes of the baby uh, update, uh, you know, mo- a monumentous moment that changes your life uh, inconvenienced you and you need a category to, uh, you know, skip to the news stories. Uh, first off, yeah, I don't spend that much time on the show. And uh, Mr. Grand Wizard, uh, yeah, you can, uh, you're not going to get that. I'm not going to sit there and do timestamps of everything I'm talking about on the show. It's only 30 minutes. Uh I see that's the ADD, attention def- deficit disorder of people today. You know, they just can't. 30 minutes is way too long. Way too long. But, you know, it is what it is. But Grand Wizard, yeah, I'm sorry that the, the baby stuff wasn't interesting to you. Uh, and I think in honor of you, I should go into another 20 minute, or maybe a whole show about baby stuff. People are funny. People are funny. Anyways, this is Remy Wolf uh, and uh, playing with Paul McCartney's drummer, Abe Laboreal Jr. in Scary Pockets, singing right there. Good stuff. Abe Laboreal Jr. Have you ever watched that guy play? He is just phenomenal. He just sits back there and he just flows so good. You can check him out on like any Paul McCartney video of the recent years. His dad was a famous bass player too, Abe Laboreal Sr. Yeah, he was huge. Anyways, let's get to the news. Hey, uh, hey, 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 Grand Wizard, Grand Wizard of the KKK, if you're still listening, I'm, I'm switching news stories now. I'm going to go to a story about ugly people think they're more attractive than they are. All right, let me get out of this music here. So there was an interesting article that I saw, and let me see if I can find it. Where was it? Let me go to my notes. Yeah, see how organized I am, Mr. Grand Wizard of the KKK? All right, study that says that unattractive people far overestimate their looks. And I would have to agree with this. I mean, any single guy that's ever been out there, you know, in the clubs and stuff, you you get this, you get this, uh, this uh, heavy, heavy set woman at the bar and she looks like Mimi from the Drew Carey show and she just thinks she's the shit. And uh, yeah, yeah. But anyways, the finding is remarkably similar to the Dunning-Kruger effect, which describes, I, I think that's Kruger as in Freddy Kruger, uh, which describes how incompetent people tend to overestimate their own competency. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Recent studies asked participants to rate the attractiveness of themselves and other participants who were strangers. The studies kept yielding the same finding. Unattractive people overestimate their attractiveness while attractive people underrate their looks. Why this happens is unclear, but it doesn't seem to be due to general inability to judge attractiveness. Uh, Let's see. Let me go down here a little bit. There's no shortage of disparities between attractive and unattractive people. Studies show that the best looking among us tend to have an easier time making money, receiving help, avoiding punishment, and being perceived as competent. Sure. Research also suggests beautiful people have shorter relationships, but they also have more sexual partners 
and more options for romantic relationships. So call it a wash. Now, new, new research reveals another disparity. Unattractive people seem less able to accurately judge their own attractiveness, and they tend to overestimate their looks. In contrast, beautiful people tend to rate themselves more accurately. If anything, they underestimate their attractiveness. This research is published in the Scandinavian Journal of Psychology. It involves six studies that ask participants to rate their attractiveness of themselves and other participants who were strangers. The studies also ask participants to predict how others might rate them. In the first study, lead author Tobias Grettenmeier, 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 uh, yeah, go figure, uh, found that the participants who were most likely to overestimate their attractiveness were among the least attractive people in the study based on average ratings. Uh, okay, overall, unattractive participants judged themselves to be of about average attractiveness, and they showed very little awareness that strangers do not share this view. In contrast, attractive participants had more insights into how attractive they actually are. What I want to know is, did the doctors that were performing this test, did they do a good deed for society and they said, uh, listen, bitch, no, you're ugly. Did, did they let them know or did they just allow these people to live and, and go out and assume that they're way more attractive than they are? I mean, what are we going to do to fight this? What are we going to do to fight this? I mean, the doctors could at least do the right thing and say, Listen, I know you think you're average, but you're not. The unibrow, the sharpie eyebrows, the five moles on your face, you are not averagely attractive. You are ugly. I mean, we need, for the good of society, these people need to be set straight, right? Right? It's raining tacos from out of the sky. Well, why would I be playing this song about raining tacos? Well, apparently Canelo, the famous boxer who lives in uh, San Diego, he's opening up his own taco shop. Now, tacos are something that are very close to my heart uh, because I am, I think, my favorite food. If I was left on the island with one food, it would definitely be tacos. And Canelo is saying that down in San Diego, which many people claim is some of the best tacos around is San Diego. He's claiming that they're they're not they're they're not not up to snuff. So uh, he doesn't like San Diego tacos, so he opened his own shop and he said we want to make them the same like in Guadalajara, and we want to make them taste the same so that people can finally taste what real tacos are. Uh, let me see, let's see, let's let's leave. I think we can get a little bit of uh, Canelo's talking about this. Uh, does, he, does he speak English? Here we go. Well, what he's saying is, what made you and your brother decide to open a taco shop in Chula Vista? And he said, I woke up one day craving tacos, and obviously the tacos here are not the same as the ones we eat in Mexico. And my brother's taqueria is one of the best ones in Mexico, and so good. I actually want to try these tacos. I told him, why don't we open one in San Diego first and see? And that's how we came up with the idea, because I woke up craving tacos. And so, of course, they're going to be Guadalajara tacos. Of course, that's the idea, to bring the same flavors as the ones in Guadalajara, because if not, it's not worth it. Oh, okay, so I actually, I am a taco aficionado. 
I live here in the Inland Empire, which is, you know, Riverside, San Bernardino counties. And we have some decent tacos, but if I want real tacos, if I want really, really good tacos, I go down to Flaco Tacos, which is a taco truck in a smog shop that's only open at about 6 p.m. till about 3 o'clock in the morning, and it's in East L.A., and oh, they're so good. He has the best chorizo con papa tacos ever. I love tacos, but there's nothing like East L.A. tacos. Now, I've heard a lot of people, the debate around here is that San Diego tacos are better, but a Apparently to Canelo, he's not into the San Diego tacos. He's going to have Guadalajara style tacos. Now, I don't know if I've ever had a Guadalajara style taco. Let me see. Um, let me see. So there, uh, the name of the taqueria that is going to be in Chula Vista, which is down past San Diego. It's right near the border. It's the last town before you cross over into Tijuana. Anyways, this is going to be called El Pastor del Rica Taqueria. And it's going to be in Chula Vista at 645 Broadway in the coming months. So it's not open yet. But anyways, Canelo, I'm going to have to travel down there. You know, now I want to Google this. I want to find if there's any Guadalajara style tacos. They look delicious. They look amazing. And it's funny, you know, my uh, my mother-in-law, my ex, my stepmother-in-law, I guess you could say, she is from uh, Mexicali. And she doesn't like the tacos here. And they do the tacos so completely different down there in Mexicali. You know, they give you your meat, it's in a much bigger tortilla, and then they have like a bar, uh, and you put all the toppings on yourself. That's kind of how they do it in Mexicali. And I know they're very, very good down there. Um, but yeah, tacos, one of my favorites, so I need to check this out. But anyways, Canelo's in the news, he's opening up a taco shop. Yeah. Do we care? Probably not. I care, because I love tacos. Now, if you're in the LA area and you want to hit up that place that I was talking about, El Flaco Taco... Uh, that's a food truck, and it's located. He's always down on Downey Road and Third Street in Los Angeles. Downey Road and Third Street, zip code nine zero zero six three. Downey Road and Third Street. You'll see his little truck there parked on the corner. El Flaco Tacos, highly recommended. Highly, highly recommended. In fact, if you guys could do me a favor, anybody that's listening to this that is also a taco fan, can you leave a comment wherever you're listening? And just tell me your go-to taco spot, because if there's good tacos out there that I'm not aware of, um, let me know. And don't put in King Taco. Everybody fucking knows King Taco. Don't if you if you're out there and you're saying, oh, King Taco has the best. King Taco does have really good tacos. They really do. I think the thing about King Taco is they put a lot of lemon in the meat, and the meat is always super super fresh. And King Taco, their chili, their red chili is so good. King Taco is very 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 good. But I'm looking for different places. If you have a favorite taco shop, put it in the comments because I want to check it out because I am a big, big, big taco fan and I'm hungry. I'm always hungry. Jake, why are you playing Soldier Boy? The song Metaverse. I didn't got lost in the metaverse. I didn't got lost in the metaverse. Well, that getting lost in the metaverse is going to cost you. Yes, yes. Even though you're buying digital things in the metaverse, just a bunch of ones and zeros, guess what? States want their sales tax. So even in the metaverse, you can't escape the tax man. Second Life, which is a huge virtual world in the metaverse, will begin passing state and local sales tax charges on to players. Yeah, it's a free, it's a utopia. It's utopia and it's a, you know, well, yeah, the government's going to get their hand in it. Second Life, the long-lived online metaverse that still attracts nearly, uh, nearly a million monthly active users, has announced 
It will start charging U.S. users local sales tax on many in-game purchases for the first time since its launch in 2003. That could be a significant drag on the online universe's robust in-game economy and serve as a warning for other metaverse efforts hoping to sell virtual goods to U.S. residents. So now when you buy your pair of virtual Air Ones, uh, you're going to have to pay sales tax, local sales tax on that, unless you get a VPN and say that you're you know, logging in from Antarctica or Africa or something like that. But if you are using a VPN and it's in a U.S. address, you're going to have to pay sales tax. How about that? How do you like them apples? Government is getting paid on nothing. Literally, it's a bunch of ones and zeros. It's a digital image and the government is getting their cut. Does this surprise you? Doesn't surprise me. And in, in announcing the move on Monday, Second Life developer Linden Lab cited the 2018 Supreme Court decision, South Dakota versus Wayfair Inc. That decision, uh, that decision established that states and localities could charge sales tax even for products sold by online companies that don't have a physical presence in that state. <laughs> oh, geez, man. Following that decision, Linden Lab says it has done our best to shield our residents from the taxes as long as possible, but we are no longer able to absorb them. As such, starting March 31st, Second Life users will be billed for local taxes on recurring billing, such as subscription and land fees. Linden Labs will continue to absorb any taxes charged on the one-time purchases like name changes and purchases of in-game currency. But those costs will be passed on to users at some point in the future, Linden Labs writes. Oh, boy. Oh, I love our government. I just love it. So Linden Labs said, this is news we don't enjoy sharing, but for the health of the business and of Second Life, we can no longer continue absorbing these tax burdens. Linden Labs writes, thank you for understanding and your continued support of Second Life. Oh, man. Let's see. Yeah, well, it just gets into more details here. So, yeah. So, if you buy a house in the metaverse for a hefty amount, because I, I saw one guy, what was it? Like, he, he bought a house next to Snoop Dogg's house in Snoop Dogg's virtual world, and he paid like $40,000 or was it 400000 It was something with a four. Can you imagine the sales tax on that that the government's going to get off of somebody buying a virtual piece of property? And it's just, wow, it's dumbfounding. It's dumbfounding, but you know, that's our government. That's how things work. Metaverse, watch out those purchases. You're going to have to fund some corrupt, corrupt politicians with your uh, purchases in the metaverse. Think about it. Oh, why am I playing CeeLo Green F you? Our heroic A-list or B-list, A-list. Well, we have an A-list and a B-list celebrity here. We have Nick Offerman and his wife, Megan Mullally. I didn't even know they are married. But anyways, what happened is they're hosting the Spirit Awards. And uh, they took it upon themselves to be very militant and show what Hollywood can do. And uh, this is what they did. This is what they did. Here, let me get to it. Uh, so, uh, let's see. Let's see. Oh, I'm going to find it. The husband and wife duo are co-hosting Sunday's award show, and toward the top of the show, they sent out a message of solidarity to Putin, sending everyone there on the ground their best wishes. Well, that doesn't make sense. But anyways, Malaley then added, 
I think we speak for everyone here when we say we are hoping for a quick and peaceful resolution, specifically, fuck off and go home, Putin. And then Nick Offerman, he followed up by saying, we hope Putin fucks off and goes home. And to that end, let's all join together with a Spirit Award salute to Putin. And then they both threw up their middle fingers. Now, there's no audio of this because this uh, award show is supposed to air on, I think, this coming Sunday. And so they've kept it under wraps. But Hollywood elites doing their part to fuck Putin by giving him the middle finger. And then there was some art uh, artists in the uh, in the the audience that followed suit, like Kristen Stewart, et cetera. But I'm glad to see Hollywood standing up, taking a stand and doing something that really makes a difference by flipping off Putin. Um, yeah, well, uh, uh, I'm sure that does a lot of damage. I'm sure Putin is pretty offended uh, by being flipped off by Nick Offerman and Megan Mullally. Uh, you know, in another news story, Sean Penn was back. He has rallied this nation in an extraordinary way. Did it surprise you at all? You know, I, I when I talk about President Zelensky, I, I think it should be said that I'm, I'm talking about most of what I observed in you, you, Ukrainian people. Um, you know, we have these um, inspirational figures in our micro lives. I'm, you know, I have extraordinary children that inspire me, an extraordinary estranged wife who inspires me daily. And then there's the macro inspiration of these great figures of history. Um, meeting with President Zelensky the day before the invasion, and then meeting with him again on the day of the invasion. I don't know if he knew that he was born for this, but it was clear I was in the presence of something, and again, I think reflected of so many Ukrainians, that was new, that was new to the modern world in terms of courage and dignity and love that, that comes out of the man and the, the way he is unified that country. And I think Mr. Putin certainly added to paving the way to that. But this is such an extraordinary moment and I was endlessly impressed and moved by him and terrified for him and for Ukraine. Well, that was Sean Penn on, uh, uh, on Zelensky. I don't know if he was in character as I am Sam or not, but uh, that was apparently his meeting with Zelensky prior to him fleeing on foot over the Poland border or one of the borders. I know he fled on foot and got out of that freaking war zone really quick once the bomb started going off. Sean Penn getting very emotional there. Uh, it's hard to, is that genuine emotion? I don't know. I mean, he didn't really talk about if Zelensky gave it to him up the ass, but he sure did make it sound that way. Uh, how, how he was, movie stars love that. They love gushing over other people. Uh, I don't know how genuine it is, but that's Sean Penn on his meeting with Zelensky, uh, calling him the greatest thing since sliced bread. There you go. There you have it. 20,000 port workers say they will no longer load or unload any Russian vessels or Russian cargo coming into or out of all 28 ports up and down the West Coast. The International Longshore and Warehouse Union calls it an act of solidarity with the people of Ukraine. Well, it looks like Uncle Vinny and the longshoremen are stepping up to the plate refusing to unload any Russian ships. Hey, man, uh, what are they going to do? Who knows? Who cares? But Vinny's not going to unload it. Uh, big shout out to the longshoremen. They're going to stand up. Let's see. I, I think, will they make that stick? 
I mean, you know, longshoremen, when they start striking on something, they they stick to their guns. So Uncle Vinny and Vito and all the other guys down there, um, the mob is not unloading the Russian. I mean, the longshoremen is not unloading the Russian ships. It has nothing to do with the mob at all. But yeah, uh, that's going to sting. Where the, Where's Russia going to take these big containers? Well, once again, teachers are in the news and they're the conspiracy or the act against parents and hiding information from parents is in black and white once again. And this is a, let's see, this is from ECASDS Super. Well, you know, it's a superintendent. But anyways, these are some some uh, literature that's going out to teachers. And this is in the... Equity PD for All Staff Facilitator Guide Session 3 regarding safe spaces. And here's one of their slides, slide 56. Talk amongst yourselves. And this is what it says here. This This is teaching materials that are going out to teachers in school districts. It says, facilitators, guide this discussion. Remember, parents, remember, listen to this line very carefully. It says, remember... Parents are not entitled to know their kids' identities. That knowledge must be earned. Teachers are often straddling this complex situation in the ECA school district. Our priority is supporting the student. Did you see the balls on these guys? I mean, they're teaching the, the, the they're teaching the teachers that remember, parents are not entitled to know their kids' identities. That knowledge must be earned. Now, how do you earn it? How do you earn it? Do you, do you start brushing the topic? You know, and I saw another news story. Okay, so this is what they're teaching to our to our teachers, right? And they're getting supported by the school districts in teaching this. This complete, a secret life of a student at school away from its parents. I saw this another article and I'm going to find it here real quick. But basically, in a nutshell, it was an 11-year-old girl that the teachers at school had had ushered this girl into being a boy at school, right? And then this girl became suicidal. And the parents were totally left in the dark regarding all of this. How insane is that? Hang on. Let me find it. Let me find it. Let me kill Pink Floyd because we don't need any education. We don't need any thought control from these dickwads. Now, this incident that I'm talking about was in the Speckles Union School District. I believe it's in Monterey. Now, what happened here? A mother who claims teachers secretly manipulated her 11, 11 years old, 11 year old daughter into changing her gender identity and name has filed a legal case against Speckles Union School District. The district was responsible for extreme and outrageous conduct that led the student on a path toward transitioning as a boy and drove a wedge between mother and child, according to the claim filed last week by a conservative legal group. Jessica Conan, who's the mom, said two middle school teachers who ran the school's equality club, later known as UBU, as in you yourself, be you yourself, planted the seed that her daughter was bisexual in sixth grade and and then introduced the idea she was transgender. The legal claim a precursor to a lawsuit, follows a dust-up in the district last fall after the author of a book widely criticized as anti-transgender, 
quoted the two teachers speaking at a conference about how to run an LGBTQ plus club in a conservative community. While Conan, the mother, said her daughter had revealed she was bisexual, the mother was unaware she was identifying as a boy until she was called to a meeting at the Buena Vista Middle School Principal's Office in December 2019 when her daughter was in seventh grade. She wasn't told the purpose of the meeting until her daughter entered the room and sat across a table from her and teacher Lori Calderia and was and they broke the news. The mom says, I literally was caught off guard. I was blindsided. I didn't even know what to feel because I didn't even know where it came from. Conan said that she began to cry. She said her daughter was also caught by surprise. She had told teachers she wanted to notify her mom, but didn't know they set the meeting up that day. Conan said she gave the school permission to use a boy's name for attendance purposes and tried to be supportive, but it was difficult. When schools went to remote learning during the pandemic in March 2020, Conan said her daughter began returning to her old self and now uses her given name. But it wasn't until this fall that Conan began to question how her daughter got on the path to a different identity after the article by Abigail Schreier circulated around town. In a leaked recording from a California Teachers Association conference, Calderia, the teacher, and Kelly Baraki were quoted discussing how they kept meetings private and stalked students online for recruits. Jesus. When we were doing our virtual learning, we totally stalked what they were doing on Google when they weren't doing schoolwork, Baraki said. One of them was Googling Trans Day of Visibility, and we're like, check, we're going to invite that kid when we get back on campus. So the teachers, the te you see, you get what they're saying? The teachers were, were stalking through their school computers, iPads, whatever they're using at home. They're stalking what they're Googling. And if any kid Googled anything transgender or anything, they were calling them in and basically recruiting them. That was in the words of the teachers that were behind this, that they were recruiting them. It, does that just blow your mind? Anyways, the teachers, neither Calderia nor Baraki could be reached by the Associated Press for comment. Calderia told the San Francisco Chronicle the quotes were accurate, but taken out of context or misrepresented. The stalking comment was a joke, she said. Yeah, but was it? But was it really a joke? Was it really a joke? Because I don't think it was a joke. Calderia, who has been awarded as a role model for inclusion, defended their work, saying students set the agenda and the teachers were there to provide honest and fair answers to their questions. The teachers were placed on administrative leave in November. They had attended the conference on their own time, but the district said many of the comments and themes stated in the article are alarming, concerning, disappointing, and don't reflect the policies of the district. The district hired a law firm to investigate, which is ongoing, and the UBU club was suspended. Conan, the mother, was applauded when she blasted school board members at a meeting in December, saying the teachers took away her ability to parent. And that is a key ingredient right there. When the schools and the teachers and the UBU clubs and all this other nonsense start, start hiding your child's identity from you, you lose your ability to parent your child through this process, through this confusing process, through this process where it needs a parent's intervention to help guide a child through this. You know, the, the, the child still spends a lot of time at home. They're not always at school. 
And and you're going to take on that, that that the parent can't know this and that school boards are saying, don't let the parents know that they have to earn your trust to be told. Ah, bullshit. Bullshit. The article continues to say that the California Teachers Association said the conference was one of dozens each year that in part help educators understand the need to protect students from discrimination, including sexual orientation and gender identity or expression. It criticized the group bringing the lawsuit, which it noted is using the case to raise money for its cause. And I quote, we are concerned about a political climate right now in which outside political forces fuel chaos and misinformation and seek to divide parents, educators, and school communities for their own political gain, which is evident in this complaint. That was a spokeswoman, Lisa Gardner. Um, and she also said the Center for American Liberty is concerned with pushing its own political agenda through litigation and has filed multiple lawsuits against various school districts and communities. One of the mom's chief complaints, Conan, <coughs> one of the one of Conan's chief complaints was that she was kept in the dark by the school about her daughter's participation in the club. Literature that teachers provided and a gender support plan created by administrators. She said her daughter was even told how to make a binder to keep her breast from developing. Are you okay with that? You okay with that? With, with a school without parental knowledge, teaching your child how to create a binder to keep her breast from developing. This is fucking straight up child abuse here. This is not right. And I quote, parents are supposed to have access to all the educational records of their children, said attorney Harmet Dillon, who filed the case. The concept that the schools have a right to be running secret, don't tell your parent clubs and don't tell your parent programs and actively, actively coaching children how to mutilate themselves, which as you know, not growing your breast is certainly not consistent with California law. And I agree with that 100%. Under state and federal law, however, students do have privacy rights that extend to sexual orientation and gender identity, according to the American Civil Liberties Union, the ACLU. Only in limited circumstances can a school notify a parent of their child's sexual identity against their wishes. Okay, so the ACLU is saying that we have some laws on the book that protect the student's right to privacy. That could be an issue, but we need to do something about that. Uh, let me see. And I quote, outside of school, these students may similarly face potential hostility at home because of who they are, said attorney Peter Wren of Lombada Legal. For example, involuntarily outing a student as LGBTQ to their parents can very well lead them to getting kicked out of the home in some circumstances. Conan said her daughter is now doing well in high school. She still deals with confusion, Conan said. She feels like she can breathe, you know, like she doesn't have the pressure on her and what she's talking about, the pressure to transition. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Break this down. They're, they're worried about the kid getting kicked out of their home, but at the same time, they're taking the school is taking a parental. I mean, if the school's going to take a parental a role like that and then start guiding a student through transition with uh, unbeknownst to the parents, binding their breasts, mutilating their bodies, uh, the school better be willing to step up and take care of that child if they were to get kicked out of the home. Right. I'm just playing devil's advocate here. 
Like if you want to pretend like you're the parent at school and give parenting advice to the child, uh, then you should be responsible if that child gets kicked out of the home. Because you're overstepping your bounds. And if you're going to overstep your bounds in one area, then you have to assume responsibility of everything. I don't know. This is a fucked up situation. It's concerning that the ACLU says that there's privacy, you know, a right to privacy for the students, because I'm sure there is something on the books regarding that, but something has to, to change. I think, I think we should go in Florida's route with just like what's called the don't say gay bill, which it never says don't say gay. Okay. That is just what the left has labeled this bill. But the Florida bill is basically saying from ages five to seven, you can't be talking about gender identity and that kind of stuff, right? Just to protect a child. It's just a topic that doesn't need to come up. It never says don't say gay. It just says that we're not going to teach that between five and seven years old. Okay. And I think it could probably extend a little beyond seven years old. I think we could use bills like that in other states. I don't know. It's a mess. It's a mess. But there is a lawsuit in the pike. It's coming down regarding a mom. And uh, it's a, where did I see the suicide, though? I that Maybe that was another story I was talking about, where it was the same, very similar situation. Uh, and then that daughter became suicidal. Well, in other news, uh, Tulsi Gabbard was talking about the FU attitude uh, that our government has had towards its citizens. She was being asked about, um, a, well, here, let me just play it for you, because she's got a lot of good things to say. She is a Democrat. And uh, here we go. Tulsi Gabbard, former congresswoman and presidential candidate, joins me now. Congresswoman, that seemed to be a critical piece of paper we signed with the Ukrainians in November, just a few months ago, basically saying, yeah, you're NATO, you're on the way, you're getting there, you're close. Did anybody in Washington think that might have been a little provocative? And I'm not blaming the Americans for everything that Russia does. I'm just saying it takes a little touch to handle a buffer state like Ukraine. Don't you think so? Yeah, Jesse, you know, as you said, there is so much devastation and incredible suffering uh, that's going on in Ukraine right now, and the world needs to condemn Putin for his actions. Uh, the thing here is that our leaders really have this FU attitude, and they just don't care. Uh, we see this FU attitude in our domestic policy here at home, uh, where they're saying, you know what, FU to parents who are concerned about what their kids are being taught in their schools, uh, you know, FU to Americans who want to make their own decisions as it relates to their health and COVID. Uh, and then you see this same attitude and mindset also extending to their decisions on our foreign policy, basically going in and saying, you know what, this is what we're going to do any other country in the world. And there's nothing that anybody can do about it. There's nothing anyone can do to stop us. And, and all of this just points to the fact that, that they just don't care because, Jesse, if they did, then before making these decisions, before taking these actions, they would stop and think for more than just a moment about what the ramifications and consequences of those decisions will be. Who will they impact the most? How will they impact the American people, the people of these other countries? Uh, what, what will the cost be? Is it worth it? What is our objective and what are we trying to accomplish? Does it serve the best interest of our country? These are the things that they would be considering before they make these decisions. Uh, and, and it's just clear to me that they're not. And, and I just, I look back to 1996, something that exemplifies this FU attitude and their lack of care for people was when Madeleine Albright was asked about 
uh, her reaction to the sanctions, U.S. sanctions policy against Iraq that had killed 500,000 kids. And as you know, her response was chilling when she said it was worth it. You know, I hardly ever hear anything that Tulsi Gabbard says that I firmly disagree with. And there she is nailing it again with the FU attitude of our politicians. And she says it, you know, regarding COVID medical, regarding a lot of stuff we talk about on the show, regarding with how your children are taught. The government is just saying F you. They're saying F you in their foreign policy. And like she said at the end there, Madeleine Albright, when the sanctions kicked in in Iraq that killed 500,000 children, uh, she didn't care. These are evil people. And this is a Democrat, Tulsi Gabbard, calling out her own party that's in control and saying, you know, hey, this isn't this doesn't fly. I really have a lot of respect for her. I hope she runs for president again. And my I think she'd be a, a great choice for this country, even though some of her policies, her being a Democrat, there's some things that I wouldn't agree with. I will vote for her based on her moral character and the person that she is, because I think she could do a much better job of leading this country than what we've got in the office right now. But I mean, she just really lays it out there. It's just in black and white. And she is so profound in what she's stating. And I agree that our government definitely has an FU attitude towards the U.S. citizens. And it's 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 despicable. It's horrible. And we need to change who these elected officials are. You know, in another story that I'm sure a lot of you are aware of, uh, but people are booking Airbnbs in the Ukraine. It's a uh, it's it's not necessarily to stay but to lend their support. So what they're doing is they're going on Airbnb, they're finding rooms for rent in the Ukraine, and they're booking those rooms and sending money to the Ukraine. Uh, some people have found a novel way to get money to the Ukrainians as their country is under attack from Russia. Uh, booking immediate Airbnb stays they do not intend to use. Sarah Brown, who lives in Salt Lake City, is one of those who got the ball rolling in a Facebook group for Airbnb hosts. She booked a stay in Kiev. Uh, someone in the Facebook group noted that it was important to support Ukrainians in places other than Kiev, so Brown booked two more stays in smaller cities with plans for more. Um, uh, some of the hosts over there in the, U in the Ukraine, they have an apartment, Brown booked, uh, da, 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 da. anyways, uh, the, it, it, the, the details are not important, but that's one way to support Ukrainians. Um, speaking to NPR from Kiev, one of the hosts in the Ukraine says the bookings mean a lot. These days, we do not have any income. We do not have any right to ask our country to help us because all the country's resources are for war and the victory. And that's very true. So if you want to help out some Ukrainians, book an Airbnb over there, send a little note, tell them what you're doing. And because Airbnb hosts, they are paid 24 hours after a guest checks in. So people abroad are booking stays and letting hosts know that it's a gesture of solidarity and they don't plan to appear. The idea spread over the last few days and Airbnb is waiving all host and guest fees in Ukraine for now. On Wednesday and Thursday, more than 61,000 nights were booked in Ukraine from around the world. Bookings that grossed nearly $2 million, according to NPR. Uh, the bookings have helped build a sense of connection. In other war-related news, the price of gas is skyrocketing. Uh, but you know, the surging price of oil, this is according to fortune magazine, the surging price of oil is now the most significant risk to us economic growth in 2022. According to bank of America research, uh, they wrote that on Friday in a March 4th note to clients, Ethan Harris, the bank's head of global economics, 
detailed a scenario in which U.S. GDP growth could be cut by 1% over the year if oil prices remain above $100 a barrel amid Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Uh, let me see. And they're expecting it to go a lot higher. Let's see. Let me get down to it. The bank's analyst said an even higher cost might be, might even be in the cards if the U.S. or NATO move to curb Russian energy exports altogether, forecasting a shocking $200 a barrel of oil. A rise in oil prices of that level could lead U.S. GDP growth to take a 2% hit in 2022. If the West cuts off most of Russia's energy exports, it would be a major shock to global markets, Harris wrote. Harris's team stressed that this was only one possible scenario given the difficulty in predicting how different countries will act in the future. We want to emphasize that this is a scenario and not a forecast. The bank said, however, the outlook is highly uncertain and investors need to consider the range of risk. Harris's warning comes as the price of Brent crude oil and light crude oil that originates in oil fields in North Sea between the Shetland Islands of Norway moved to highs of $139 per barrel on Monday, while prices have since fallen back to around $120 per barrel mark. The sharp increase in energy prices has only exasperated investors' desire to reduce exposure to risk assets. And as a result of that, the S&P 500 traded down nearly 3% with the NASDAQ following suit down over 3.5% into bear market territory in the last 12 months. Yeah, so gas prices, uh, you know, one thing that they're not talking about, but this is going to cause airline tickets to start to skyrocket as jet fuel prices increase. I haven't heard too many people talking about that, but that is definitely on the move. And I, we're going to expect to see that as we buy plane tickets. That's for sure. Well, this is Jake with Radio Underland going over the daily news. You can hit us up at uh, jake at radiounderland.com. Also, there was something else I wanted to say. Oh, yeah. For those of you that tune in on uh, YouTube, like the, uh, the 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 wizard, Grand Wizard of the KKK that was listening earlier, uh, remember that this is an audio podcast that is found uh, through your local podcasting app. YouTube, we only put up one episode every seven days uh, just because that's the kind of regulations with Podbean and how they do it. So YouTube only gets one episode every seven days, but uh, on Podbean or whatever other app you use, Spotify, whatever, Google Play, uh, you can get the other episodes that are happening uh, more frequently. So this is Jake with Radio Underland. It's been fun. It's been grim. It's been dark, but whatever. It's the news. Remember, good. be good people. Be good to each other. And I will talk to you later. Stop.